Thanks. Oh yeah, like Blake said, uh, we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians, so if you want to go ahead and turn there, we're just going to be in chapter 1, just looking at verses 5 through 10. And when I was thinking about this, what, like, I kind of had a, a free shot, like whatever I want to talk on, and this is the, instantly the one I want to talk on is discipleship. And the passage that I think most clearly communicates that is, is this one. Uh, but in thinking about this idea of discipleship multiplying, the, the example that came to mind was my eighth and ninth grade basketball coach. His name is Mike Thornton. If you know Mike, Mike, he actually attends um, the Anderson campus, and he's a, a professor at Texas A&M. He's a, a literal doctor of basketball. He's not posing like Dr. J. Like he's a doctor of basketball. And he, uh, he was our coach, and he was awesome. I mean, he, he's a huge guy, like 6'6", six, six, really in shape, and knows basketball. And so whenever you're coming up into, and you know he's going to be your coach, everybody's like, you're going to get Coach Thornton. He's so awesome. He's the best. And, and, and the number one thing he gets talked about is that he can dunk. And when you can dunk in the teenage boy world, you are as good as deity because there's nothing higher to achieve than that. Like you can dunk a basketball, instant impressiveness anywhere you go. So we know Coach Thornton can do that. We know he's played college ball. And so we're getting there and I'm expecting like just for him to just give a globetrotter show, like every practice is going to be awesome. But that was not the case at all, ever. He would uh, be explaining these plays to us. And then when he would get to the point of the play where it's time to put it in the basket, he would just clang it off the bottom of the rim, like not even really trying. Or if the play bubbles him out to the outside, I'm expecting him just to make it rain threes in the gym. And he'll just like airball it on purpose and then continue talking. And I was kind of disappointed as a 15-year-old. I'm like, ah, I want to see you do awesome stuff. Like, why am I here? Like, this is not fun. But when I, like, I thought about it more, I was like, because he gets it. He gets that it's not about him being good and he doesn't give a lick of care about how good we think he is at basketball because that doesn't win games. That doesn't make us better as a team because he's on the sidelines with slacks and loafers not playing the game. So it doesn't matter if he can dunk. And even if he could play in the game, he's one guy. And if we can't do what he can do, then we're worthless. Then we're not a good team and he's not a good coach. And we're going to see that kind of mindset with Paul here. And Paul, all he's doing is modeling Jesus' ministry, but he shows it up, uh, and starting in verse 5, 1 Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians, really kind of like a halftime talk to a team that's winning, a team that's already doing good, but you don't want them to slack. You don't want them to get lazy. You want them to focus on a few things they could be doing better. That's what 1 Thessalonians is. So we're going to look at it from the first perspective of the Thessalonians. Starting in verse 5, he jumps in and says, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in the power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. So Paul gives them a brief reminder of what they did, of who they are and what he, how he brought the gospel. But the first thing we're going to see about them, he's going to lay these five points of encouragement down. And the first thing we see in verse 6a is that they're humble. He says, you also became imitators of us and of the Lord. They quit holding on to what they formerly knew. They just let it go. They came in, Paul and and company came in, gave them the gospel. They believed it and they just let it go. They're like, I'm imitating you. You're the best guy I know at this. So I'm going to copy you. They're learners. They're lifelong learners. They haven't quit learning at any of this stuff. They're going to continue pushing on and abandoning what they've done. Because if they come to Christ holding the works that they've done, but yeah, I've established this business, but yeah, I've been a good person or I've been these things and they can't receive the grace of God. So they've let that all go. They're imitating. They're just copying as humble believers. And the second thing 
And the rest of verse six, it says, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. These people are bold also. They accepted Christ and lived for him in a really hostile environment. It was not popular or easy to be a Christian in Thessalonica in AD 51. It was not the cool thing going on. It wasn't like A&M where a fifth of the population goes to breakaway. Like it was, that wasn't their situation at all. It was very unpopular. They got people telling them, you should drop this. This is stupid. But they're not. They're holding on. They, they're holding on to what? The word. They're clinging to the word of God and they're relying on the joy of the Holy Spirit. These people are bold in a culture that is not receptive to their, their life change, not just philosophy change. These people are also, we see in verse seven, is that they're leaders. He says, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. You guys are stepping out and becoming pace setters. They're not just casually biding time by, sitting in the aisles, doing nothing. Like they are out front leading. Like you've given this to us, Paul. We want to go and do this for others. We want to invest in others, multiply others. Like we want to step up and be the people that can be looked to. We don't want to just join the team and be along for the ride on the bench. Like we want to get in the game. These people are excited and they're active. And then the next thing, the fourth thing that we see in verse eight is that they're multipliers. Now this term multiplier, we're going to see this a lot uh, in a minute. We're going to talk about it more. But for now, look at what it says. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth so that we have no need to say anything. So he's saying, it's not just you guys doing awesome but you've sounded forth to Macedonia and Achaia. So like your state and the surrounding states, like the gospel's going forth to New Mexico and Oklahoma, Louisiana, Arkansas, like it's going out to you guys. And it's going out even further than that. Like you guys are multiplying. What we've put into you, Paul and company, what we've put into you, you're putting that into others. You're multiplying the believers. You're adding more. You're, you're, you just had this itch that's got to go forth. And the words there that stand out to me that are awesome are sounded forth, sounding forth. When I thought of that, I thought of just one guy. His name's Mark Jessup. And I met Mark playing ultimate Frisbee at a uh, college conference. And normally on the ultimate Frisbee field, I'm the loudest person. That's, that's kind of my thing. Because when your skills deteriorate past beyond anything capable of athleticism, you choose to move to a more psychological attack, a more emotional berating. Uh, you try to win the mental game is what it comes down to because you can't jump and you can't run anymore. You're old and fat now. So that's what I've done. And I'm usually the loudest guy, but Mark was just as loud. And I was like, what's going on with this guy? This is my shtick. Like, this is what I do. What are you doing stealing this from me? So I get to know him and I meet with him a little more. And I start meeting with him every week because he's a hungry guy. Come to find out he just accepted Christ a few months before. And this is his junior year at A&M and he's in the, he's in the fighting Texas Aggie band. So he, no whoops then at all, huh? Well, old army's dead, I guess. Um, <laughs> anyways, he's in the band and he's hungry. Like he wants, to, he wants to learn and grow. He's asking questions, reading scripture and the gospel is sounding forth from him. And he's got some sound pipes. He eventually became the head drum major of the Aggie band. You know, the guy at the front when they start the thing that utters that unintelligible phrase of, like, you, don't, you have no idea what he's saying, but you can hear him, right? Like you're on the last row of the third deck, you can hear him. And that was Mark, right? He's got these pipes 
And then he takes them and he's using them for the gospel. Everything that moves, Mark's sharing the gospel with. Like whether you're down the hall in the dorm from him or you're the checkout lady at Walmart, he's just like, ma'am, do you know the gospel? Are you having a good day? Like he really believed that everybody that talked to him needed to have a cathartic experience. And that this is how he lived. And it lives still today. And so when I thought of sounding forth, that's what they're doing. They're like, I can't keep this in, these Thessalonians. It's got to get out. It's got to go. It's got to go forward. It's got to go to them. It's got to go to them. It's got to go past that. I got to train these people to learn how to do this. They just can't keep it in. It is sounding forth. And then the last thing, the fifth thing about these people that Paul points out is that they're orthodox. These people have hold of the word. They have punted everything they used to believe, everything they used to call normal. They're from centuries of pagan idol worship, and they just say, not anymore. Granddad, grandma, mom, dad, it doesn't matter anymore. I'm, I'm doing this. My society has no idea of this, but this is what I'm doing now, and they've just let it all go. Look in verse 9 and 10. For they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had among you, had with you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Paul gives that little bit of doctrine there at the end of who Jesus is and that you believe in that Jesus. You believe he was raised from the dead. You believe he's coming back. You know that you are not going to suffer wrath as Christians. These people know the truth and they are holding to it, faithfully holding to it. So that's what these people are. And we've looked at them. And one of the things that my dad taught me, my dad's the greatest disciple maker I've ever known. His name's Shane Sanders. My mom's name's Janet Sanders. And he's the greatest. And what, he, what he's teaching me, it has been teaching me over the past few years is, you know, we, we always look at scripture in these letters as if I'm a Thessalonian or I'm a Philippian. And that's good, right? Like this is scripture. We need to know this. This needs to apply to us. I need to be thinking about who's my Achaia? Who's my Macedonia? How am I going to sound forth? Obviously that's true. But as leaders and as multipliers, I need to be looking at it from Paul's perspective also. Because what's he doing in Scripture? What, what's he doing? Why, why did he say what he said? Why, why point this stuff out? Well, let's look at that. Going back to verse 5, he says, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord. Paul in his ministry is striving to live a life worth imitating. That his life, if you become a Christian, you could just sit in his back pocket and follow him around and you would learn how to be a Christian. You would learn how to follow Christ. That's his goal. Now, do we all sin? Yes. Did Paul sin? Absolutely. But he's striving for this. I want to be imitatable. I want to be somebody that you can just copy. Because one of my favorite quotes uh, from Tommy Nelson, a pastor in Denton, he says, you can't peddle unapplied truth. If I'm not doing it, I can't ask you to do that. We've all had coaches in our lives like that, right? That just, they're fat and they're slow and they can't catch and they can't run, but they're telling you to do it. And you're like, what? It's 5,000 degrees out here. Like, you don't understand. And they don't understand. And we don't respect them, right? But the coach who does that, the one who steps into sprints and is faster than you, and he's 58 years old, like you're, you're noticing that, right? Like you can't peddle on applied truth. Paul's saying, just copy me. You are copying me. You know how I lived among you. Like that, that whose sake was that for? It was for them. 
Like, I didn't do this so that God would think I'm awesome, that, you, God would, that I would gain favor with God. It was so that you guys could grow. It was for your sake. And he says this kind of stuff all the time. In 1 Corinthians 11, 1, he says, be imitators of me just as I also am of Christ. Now, that sounds pretty bold, right? That sounds kind of maybe a little arrogant. I think it's actually humility because biblical humility is having a true, accurate understanding of who you are. So if who I am is somebody that's trying to follow Christ, I can tell somebody in full confidence, follow me. Because think about it, walking through the snow, you're walking through the deep snow in a line of people. If I'm following the first guy, he's stepping in the snow and making holes, and I'm just stepping in his footsteps as we go. So if the guy behind me, I say, hey, follow me, I'll get you there. He's really following the guy in front, right? And if I step off the path, he'll see where my footstep is different than the guy in front. So he still knows where to go. That's what Paul's saying. It's like this ministry principle of being, being imitatable. Like, can you be imitated? Can you be copied? Are we living a life that, that's capable of that? My dad, he, he did this. He does this on a regular basis. When I was growing up, I thought so many things were normal that weren't normal. I thought it was normal for moms and dads to have college students over to the house for one-on-one time. I thought it was normal that Super Bowl parties, you have 65 college kids in your house. That means the Super Bowl's happening if they're in your house. The first time we didn't have that, I was like, so it's just a game? Like, is that it? <laughs> like, this is weird. <laughs> but I thought that was normal. I thought everybody had a, a Bible study that they were in and they were involved in the church. I thought everybody got in trouble for being loud and bad at church. That's what I thought. Like, that's, I thought that was normal. I grew up like that, but that's not normal, I came to find out. So I look at my dad and I'm like, he is imitatable. Now, did he, does he sin? Yes. Does he do things differently than I would do? Yes. He had a rule about long hair for boys. And I'm just not going to have that rule because it may be going away when you're in your twenties. And I'm going to say, son, you enjoy that hair while you have it, right? <laughs> like you, you get a mohawk. I don't care what you do because it's not that case for me. That's run its course. But, you know, leading the life worth imitating, there's something to be said for that, right? Like, that's, that's a ministry principle. Just copy me. I'm going to show you how to do it because I'm living it, not just preaching it. The second thing that Paul does is he's reproducing reproducers. And we'll explain that, but let's look at verses 7 and 8. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth so that we have no need of saying anything. Paul's ministry is one of multiplication, not addition. Paul's striving to multiply these people. And you notice he's praising these people right here. If you became an example to people around you, they, they could copy you and then those people could be copied and be copied out. He's multiplying people in this ministry. He's reproducing reproducers. He's not just pouring into somebody and saying, all right, I gave you all I had. He's investing. And you want your investment to pay dividends, correct? You want it to multiply out. You want exponential growth. That's what Paul's doing. That's his ministry model, is multiplying these people. He's making disciples who make disciples. So this group now has reached what's a critical mass. I don't know jack about physics, but I do know that critical mass means that something got started moving by something and then eventually it can now spin on its own. It doesn't need that outside force anymore. And that's what's happened to these people. They're doing it all the way sounded forth. They don't even need to be reminded of it anymore. And uh, the verse that, that everybody points to for this, and I, it's great, great verse, 2 Timothy 2, 2. 
The things you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Now, in that verse, most people only see two spiritual generations, Paul to Timothy. But there's four, Paul to Timothy, to faithful men, to others also. So when Paul, writing his last letter to his main guy, he's looking three generations past Timothy. Essentially, like, if Timothy, if this ends with you, I have failed. It's got to ripple past you. You have to be developing men who are capable to keep this thing going. That, that's ministry. It's multiplication. Now, when I heard all this multiplication edition, I started tuning out a long time ago when it first got presented to me because I hate math. Took all my math at blend. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> not to say anything about that, but it was way easier for me. <laughs> so I see this chart. At first, I feel scared, but let me walk you through it. Let's say the column on the left, that's Billy Graham, and we'll say the column on the right is uh, just Joe Schmo, disciple maker. We always pick on Billy Graham because he's the only evangelist anybody knows who he is. So we'll just pick on him. So if Billy Graham makes 10 converts per day for a whole year, he makes 3,650 converts. That's, that's pretty awesome. That's a lot of people. But if Joe Schmo, disciple maker, is only making one disciple a year, he's got one. And then, you know, the next year he's got two, and then he's got four, and then it gets up to 16 year five. Billy Graham's smoking and going, right? 18,300. And it just seems like it's never going to catch up. Year 10, you got 512 disciples. That's pretty good. But Billy's at 36,000 converts. And then it continues on. Year 15, the gap is not even half as close. But then in year 17, just two years, Joe Schmo passes him. Now there's 65,000 capable, trained leaders who can pour into somebody else and develop somebody else. And Billy's got 60,000 converts. Now, is that good? Are those people going to heaven? Absolutely. That's awesome. But the people on the right are people that are going to heaven and people that can train others because you're multiplying yourself. And then when you get down to year 25, it's just ridiculous. 16 and a half million as opposed to 89,000 making 10 converts a day. That's what you have to show for 25 years. And that's awesome. That's 89,000 people going into the fold of Christ. That's amazing. But what if you could do that and train everybody? Eventually, after 25 years of doing it, just one person a year, and then your next person gets somebody and you just keep multiplying out? It's exponential growth. That's what everybody wants on their stock growth, right? 16 million people from one guy at 25 years of ministry. That's crazy. Number, the numbers don't lie. Where, where is the best investment? Paul sees that, and he's not even making it up. He's just copying Jesus. What did Jesus do? He left the fate of the world in the hands of 11 guys. The 5,000 he fed were not at the cross. They were not at the ascension. The 4,000 he fed were not at the cross and were not at the ascension. Clearly, he leaves the ministry in the hands of the few to multiply out. And so now from 11 guys in Jerusalem hiding in a room, we're here talking about the same Jesus with two services at two campuses, and we're just one church in one town in one state in one country. That's crazy. So clearly, this works. Paul's ministry, is it works. And ultimately, what it is, is just an organic, self-sustaining ministry. It's spinning on its own. It's not the product of programs and curriculum and festivals and events. It's just a life on a life. And now there's two of you. So a life on a life, now there's four of you. Over and over and over. That's all it is. And it can sustain itself. At the end of verse 8, he says, we have no need to say anything. Like you guys are dominating out there on the floor. Just keep it up. 
Keep doing that stuff. The problems I have to address with you are extraneous. They're doctrinal. They're exegetic. Like they're, they're, they're not going to sink the ship, the things that you don't know. And that's the ministry that he's modeling for us because he's no dummy. Paul realizes I can't be everywhere. So if this ministry is all about me and then I die, then the empire crumbles. And he's like, I, we're not going to be Rome. We're not going to be that. And Jesus died and nothing crumbled. It grew. Every cult, every religion that's ever made up, when the leader dies, it, it goes away for the most part. But Paul, he's not like, I'm not doing that because if it's about me, when I die, it's over. And I can't be everywhere anyways. And because there's no podcasting, there's no any of that. And even in the era now of podcasts, of iTunes and all that, when you can kind of be everywhere, you don't really know anything about the people that are listening to you. You're just throwing info out and hoping that somebody does something with it. And while that's good, while we need to be promoting truth in every venue that we can and keeping up with society, that's a very good thing. But if that's our main thing, then we're just missing. Like we're just foul tipping the ball. We're making contact, but it's not going all the way out. And that's what Paul's doing. He's trying to replace himself many times over so that it's not about him. Replacing himself, making somebody who can do what he can do, maybe can do what he can do better. The greatest example I can think of this is uh, sports. That's all my examples. So we'll start with Favre and Rogers on the left. Brett Favre on the field is who you want to be. Like he's the guy I tried to be like in high school all the time, just slinging as hard as I can, throwing it, faking it, throwing illegal blocks when the ref's not looking. Like you're just there to play football, right? But as a person, we saw him crumble when he retired, right? He's up there and he retires and he has that big weeping ceremony. And like, oh. But his identity is so wrapped up in football, he can't let it go. He's worried. Aaron Rodgers is good. So if I leave, I might be forgotten. And I can't be forgotten. I have to be the greatest quarterback to ever play for the Packers. So I'm going to come back. And the Packers are like, well, we don't want you back. Brett's like, well, I'm under contract. I'm like, fine, we'll trade you to the black hole of the New York Jets. That's where you're going to go. <laughs> So he ends up there and then does the cardinal sin of all Packers and goes to the Vikings. That's like Johnny Football putting on a UT uniform. Like, that's just terrible. There we go. Finally, Old Army's not dead. Um, So Brett Favre, he's just like, I don't want to multiply myself. I don't want Aaron to be better than me. I want to go down as the greatest Packer ever. So I'm going to do everything I can to stop that. I'll play for the enemy just to keep them from being better than me. He can't let it go. He doesn't want to invest in Aaron. He doesn't want Aaron to be better than him. Now let's look at the flip side, the good side. Tim Duncan and David Robinson. If you're born in the 90s, you don't know who David Robinson is, but he was very good at basketball back when real basketball was played. I said it. So David Robinson is the legend, right? On the Spurs, they're awesome. They're doing good. Then they draft Tim Duncan as a rookie and he plays the same position as David Robinson. But David Robinson doesn't freak out. He takes Tim Duncan under his wing and he trains him trains him how to do it. So much that this relationship gets so publicized that Gillette makes a commercial of shaving cream of Tim getting taught how to shave by David. Like they just kind of, they're like, oh yeah, it's a mentor relationship. Like they kind of get that. But you look at the produce. Like Packers were left at abysmal after Brett Favre left. They've recovered a little bit, but all on the back of Aaron, nobody else's help. But somehow the Spurs have stayed viable for, it seems like a millennium. Like their starting five is days away from collecting social security. How, how are they in the finals again? As a Mavericks fan, it's just sickening me. But, it's, but look at the, the proof is in the pudding. 
David Robinson says, the, the organization and the team matters more than I do. So if I'm about to retire in a couple of years, he's the next guy. I want the Spurs to go on. I want them to continue on to be great. So I'm going to invest in this guy who's the next me. He's my next position. Like, I'm going to invest in this guy so that they can continue on. And it's worked. I don't know why, but it, it has worked. It's got to be because of his selflessness. And I'm going to replace myself with somebody better. I'm going to make him better. He's going to learn from my mistakes and learn from the things that I can do good. And now you can't see, but Tim Duncan is holding a finals MVP trophy and David Robinson is holding the championship trophy. That's what happens when you multiply yourself. You replace yourself because it's about the team. It's not about me being remembered for anything. And that leads me to our our last point is where's your man? That guy on the picture, you probably don't know who he is, but he's one of my great heroes of the faith. His name's Dawson Trotman. He started the Navigators in the 30s, and that ministry's been going on for like 80 years. And based off of this principle, where's your man? Where's your woman? Who's the one that you're investing in? Who is it? Because if you don't have somebody, you're wrong. Like, where, where are you producing into somebody? That was how he built that ministry of training and equipping people to train and equip people so that we multiply out to know Christ and to make him known. So that's my question to you this morning. Where's your man? Where's your woman? And I know a lot of people are thinking in their heads like, well, I'm just not there yet. Like, I just don't know enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I haven't memorized systematic theology. I don't know eschatology. I gotta, until I do that, I can't invest in anybody. That's a lie. You're never gonna know enough. You're never gonna be perfect. And if you're waiting for that, you can just hand him off to Jesus when he comes back because He's the only one that's perfect, but he's left imperfect people here to invest and to multiply out. So where's the person you're investing in? You always know more than somebody else. There's always a Christian out there who knows less than you. And if you just became a Christian, then there are non-Christians who know less than you because they don't know Jesus at all. So who are you looking at? Who is out there that you can be investing in? And anybody could do it and everybody should do it. The Great Commission at the end of Matthew has no caveats. It has no, well, this is reserved for the intelligent or the talented or the church staff or that serious church volunteer. It just says, go, everybody. It's for everyone. Make disciples of all nations. So where's your man? Where's your woman? I mean, come up with excuses all the time. One of my favorite and probably greatest examples of this is my wife. My wife is a full-time mom of a toddler, and you heard her scream when she came in here. She's a toddler, but she has, Anna, my wife, has girls over to the house. She's super busy and Mallory takes a nap, but she just has them over to the house and they get in the word. They do memory verses. They talk about life, about dating. And Christian young girls need to know what a toddler really is, that it's really just an appetite surrounded by a noise. (laughs) That's what a, a toddler is. And they need to see that in real life. Mallory needs to get in trouble in front of them to know that babies aren't perfect. They're just comatose in the nursery because of an overdose of goldfish and apple juice. Like that's, that's not a real toddler. You guys see them at home. And Anna brings those, these young girls into that scenario to build them up and to send them out so they can go and be mothers. They can go and be wives and they can go and be Christian young women, period. She's doing that, and she has more excuse than anybody. I would say she could just check out of everything and just do Mallory, and that's it. We get order out every day because that's enough work. But she doesn't take that as an excuse. She's doing it. So 
I want to wrap up with this last point and talking about this multiplication idea. And the reason that I, one of the reasons that I love Grace Bible Church is because they get it. We, we get this. We do this. We could have, whenever we, everything started growing, instead of getting Southwood, we could have just leveled Anderson and built the Thunderdome, right? And had like <laughs> 10 screens and 80 foot speakers. And that's what we could have done. But no, they, they got a new campus. We got a new campus. We, we branched out over here. And we could have done, we could have just projected whoever our all-star is at Anderson up on the screen. We could, have been, we could have put Brian up on the screen, but no, we multiplied. And now there's Blake and he's leading. And we got guys who can multiply out that we're not like, if any one guy on staff goes down, Grace Bible Church is fine because they've multiplied out. We've multiplied out. They value this system of reproducing reproducers. And, and we see that. Look at Southwood. We're two services now. Like, that's crazy. Because we're reproducing out. We're not exalting the greatness of the one. Because there is only one person worthy of that. And that's Jesus. And they really believe, Grace, we really believe Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, where Paul's addressing the church and he's saying, you exist as church pastors and staff to train and equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Like we're here to get people involved. That's why we have opportunities to be youth leaders, to be Bible study leaders, to host a home church, to work in the nursery, to disciple people. And if you want to be discipled, you call the front office and you're going to get beelined to somebody really quickly. A lot of the girls that Anna meets with, some girl just called the front office and said, I want somebody to invest in me and right to Anna. Anna gets called up by Carolyn Jones and then there you go. So that's what we exist to do is to train and equip people to do this. So if you want to get involved, this sounds awesome to you, then I say do it. I say jump at it. Because that's what we're here to do, is to make disciples who make disciples. Let's pray. Well, thank you so much for this time. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for the example of Paul, and ultimately the example of your son, that we see that it's not about flash and glitz. It's not about uh, productions and events. That it's just about a life on a life. It's that somebody submitted to you and serious about your word can invest in another and the word can go forth, the gospel can go forth and we can have an army of equipped, trained soldiers for Christ bringing down the gates of darkness in your name. And we thank you for enlisting us in this, that you don't save us and put us on the bench, but you save us and immediately start us in the game. We're grateful for that, God. We're grateful for your word that we can read it whenever we want. We can learn from the words of God whenever we want. And we thank you for your son. And it's through his name we pray. Amen. Y'all have a good morning.